Welcome to the Companion Chapel Everyday Bible Study Podcast. My name is Mike, coming to you from the Great Lakes area of beautiful Ontario, Canada, on this gorgeous Thursday, October 21st, 2021. Coming right up, it's the second book of Samuel, chapter 3. Don't you dare miss it. All anxieties and uncertainties stop where biblical literacy starts. This Companion Chapel Podcast makes the Bible easy for you to understand and enjoyable for you to follow along. First, please consider your part in the many-membered body of Christ. This is your church. Help glorify magnify and broadcast God's saving word. My part is creating this Bible teaching media. Your part consists of getting involved in the church administration with your time or money contributions, managing marketing, advertising, helping with the website, helping with the podcast, whatever God-given talent you have. God expects you to use it in the many-membered body of Christ. Companion Chapel is a registered non-profit ministry. This Bible teaching podcast is only possible with your donations. Give it up for God and your whole human family at companionchapel.com, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, or e-transfer to email address companionchapel at gmail.com. Companion Chapel is located at number 338 Side Road 28 slash 29 Paisley, Ontario, Canada, and OG2NO. And here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Now this is terrible. Stop right there. The house of Saul and the house of David. We're talking about the house of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, the ten, or 12 tribes of Israel. We have 10 tribes that have gone north and separated from the two tribes that stayed back, Judah and a bunch of Levites and some Benjamin people. But Saul was of Benjamin, so it was just mostly, there was a separation of the family. And it's a terrible thing when a family's at war. And it's a terrible thing when anybody in the human family is at war uh, to any extent or to any degree. And the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker because he was dead. And unto David were sons born in Hebron. We're going to go over these sons. The firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelite. And Anon, Amnon means faithful, and he gets murdered by Tamar's brother after he dissed Tamar. That comes up in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And his second, Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third, Absalom, the son of Mechah, the daughter of Tamai, king of Jeshur. Now let's just stop right here. There's nothing really said about um, Abigail's kid with David, Chiliab. That just means like his father. Absalom comes along, and that means father of peace. And now, remember, he challenged David's sovereignty. And he actually became king of Judah. We read about that in 2 Samuel 15. Now, th- these three ended up being, these three ended up dying. And we come up to now Adonijah, son of Hegath. And Adonijah, that means my Lord is Yahweh, upset David. And Solomon was king, and therefore, and after a bit, Solomon had him killed. And then the next two, Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and six Ithrim by Eglah, David's wife, they were all born to David in Hebron. Now, you don't hear anything about the last two, but th- that's quite the history of those people, which we'll read more about coming up in the next chapters of Samuel, and some of it's in Chronicles and Kings. Anyway, here we are in verse 6. And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong in the house of Saul. Well, Abner was like, he, he was the army general, the five-star general. Of course he made himself strong. He had all the experience of a warrior. He was the only one left that was hung around with Saul. Saul and all his other generals and his own son, Jonathan, were dead now. And interestingly enough, 
Abner, Abner got himself out of there, but let's just give it up for Abner and think about this, that, you know, he was a loyal guy to Saul. That's for real. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahah, and Ishbath S said to Abner, Wherefore art thou gone into my father's concubine? Now Ishbath was Saul's son, who is now king over the Israelite people, the ten tribes. And here we have if you notice Ishbath is means man of shame. And this is putting here, sometimes it's in your Bible, it's in print, it's figure of speech ellipsis. That means this is just a descriptive word of this guy. Is it his real name? Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it means man of shame. And here he is, he's up in Abner's face saying, why did you go into my father's concubine? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to get at? This great war general here, five-star general, is getting punked by this king. And he would not be king if it wasn't for Abner. And think about that. Then Abner was very wroth with the words of Ishboth and said, Am I a dog's head? Now, a dog was like the lowest thing you could call somebody. A dog. And that's just the way that was the customs of the times back then. That was their profanity, their slang. Which, against Judah, do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren, and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me this day with a fault concerning this woman. Like, this is very insulting, what Ishboth hath said to Abner. It's like, he's saying, you commoner, get away from, get away from this royal blood. And so to translate, and so Abner is extremely angry here at this insult. To translate, now he goes on furthermore, I haven't given you into the hand of David. Verse 9, so do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him. Well, this is a big change of heart here. 10. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba, that's the house of the oath. He, he, Abner has changed his loyalty. He's looking at this uh, man of shame, Ithbothesh, which is the king of the, the ten tribes, old Saul's old kingship. David's the king of two tribes down here in Judah. And here goes Abner's loyalty is now with David. And here's what the king said back, King Ishbeth, And he could not answer. He was lost for words. And he feared him. Well, the guy ran his mouth once too much. And now he realizes, hey, now he's scared. And Abner sent messages to David on his behalf saying, Whose is the land? Good question. Saying also, make thy league with me. That means make me a deal. Let's get this down on paper. Let's make a deal. And behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto thee. My Abner is trying to get all Israel, all the sons of Jacob, back together again, which is a great thing. 13. And he said, well, I will make a league or a covenant with you. I'll make a deal with you. But one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face except thou first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, who thou comest to see my face. David wants his first wife back. And that is his first wife. That's the deal. That was the deal when he went out there and sunk a stone right into Goliath's forehead. That was the deal. 
he wants his wife back. And David sent messengers to Ishbath, that son, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife, Michal, which I espoused to me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. He paid two hundred, actually. Like Saul just reneged and reneged. And Ishbotheth sent and took her from her husband, even one Philatel, the son of Lash. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her all the way to Baharum. Then said Abner unto him, Go return. And he returned. Well, why is he weeping? He's breaking up the family here. And this is Saul's typical human governmental character. Always leaves a trail of destruction behind it. And Saul was the guy who reneged and gave Michal to Philatel. And he's breaking up a family. Or of course this guy's mourning and begging for his wife back. 17. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, He sought for David in times past to be a king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of their enemies. Great speech, Abner. And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin, and Abner went also to speak in the ears of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel, and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. Abner knew that Yahweh, our father, chose David. He knew. So Abner came to David in Hebron and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. So he brought special forces, his security detail with him. Abner's a war general. And he didn't bring a bunch of slouches with him. He brought these 20 guys. And David's happy to see him. You were loyal to Saul. And I love Saul. And, you know... You know what? I, I, I was, he's happy to see him. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king that they may make a league or a deal with you and that thou mayest reign over all that thy heart desireth. And David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Okay, deal. Okay, David's going to be king over the whole show. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. And brought in great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. So here's Joab. Now remember, he gets referred to as um, the sons of Zerah. And the Zerah, Zerah was mother of Ishel, Asahel, Joab, and Abishai. So it's three. Asahel, Joab, Abishai. Three renegade military leaders. What were they doing? They were out there warring away, fighting away. Now they're come in. And then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Sorry, I think I skipped a verse. 23. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Now Joab, being these... He was a high military leader with his two brothers. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is that he has that you have sent him away, and he is qu quite gone? Like, I thought they were our enemy, is what Joab's saying to David. Now knowest Abner the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and, and to know thy going out, and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. Now, this is... This is um, quite the way to speak to the king. Saying, this guy just tricked you. But remember, David knew Abner and David knew, knew Saul from a long time ago. These are young people. Like, 
Joab and his two brothers had just come on the scene. Um, this is a harsh accusation here. And when Joab had come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him against, which, which brought him again from the well of Sarah, but David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Eshel, his brother. Okay, so, yeah, I kind of got the story mixed up a little bit, but remember that the pursuing of Abner before, and so Joab had something against Abner, and he wouldn't let it go. And Abner wasn't a murderer of Asael, Joab's brother. That was self-defense. But Joab murdered Abner. And when it says under the fifth rib, like we're talking right in the heart. 28. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I am, or I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Like he liked him. David really liked this guy. And bloods means, remember the law? Hebrew bloods in verse 28. That's bloods with a plural. And that's generations curse from your blood, from the blood of Abner. Okay, we're talking, David's going to put a curse here. 29, let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house and let there not fail from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue or has a leper or leaneth on a staff or that falleth on the sword or that lacketh bread. There's a huge curse there. And this includes his whole father's house, his other brother, everything. Like David's saying, this and that was not on me. I did not kill Abner. I'm not a murderer. Like if you stab somebody up, he could have stabbed him anywhere else. But under the fifth rib means right in the heart. And remember, Cain's, or Cain, when Cain slay Abel, Abel's blood cried out, as it's written in the New Testament. Your blood is your life force. And that is where your soul is located, in your blood, in your life force. And when God takes it back, he takes it back. Your blood is spilt and it cries out as it's written. So Joab and Abishal, his brothers, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Ashel and the Gibeon in, at, at the battle. So killing one in battle is not murder. But this is premeditated murder. 31. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, Rent your clothes and gird yourself with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed after the briar. In other words, King David put on a huge funeral procession for this guy. Like he said, listen, yeah, we were enemies, but I respect him. And he took, he took care of the tribe of Israel. Like, let's respect him for that. He was... Very loyal to Saul. 32. And they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Did Abner, died Abner as a fool dieth? In other words, was he running into needless danger? Abner is being honored here. And David is regretful. What a waste of a good, loyal guy, he's saying. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again after him. Because David is trying to let all Israel know, Hey, listen, I respected this guy. I respected your leader. I'm not coming in as some renegade. I'm coming in as a leader of respect for our whole brotherhood of sons of uh, Jacob, Israel. Isaac, Sarah, Abraham, Rebekah, and Leah, Israel. 
35. And when all the people came to the cause of David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swore, saying, So do God to me, and more also, if I taste bread or all else, till the sun be down. So he fasted. He fasted for a little bit there. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them. And whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. What's this say? This says all over that David is loved and respected by all the people here that he's about to lead. Or the people would have just had, just went out and, and made a picnic and had a cheese sandwich for everybody. 37. For all the people of Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. Okay, they understood, hey, this did not come from David, this order of execution. This was from his renegade three's military leaders. And what's going to happen to them? And the king said unto his servants, Know you not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Prince to me is like leader. You can say general in this case. And I am this day weak, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, that's mummy, Mummy, your three boys, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. And that's what you have. It's when good men do nothing, wickedness prevails. These guys have to do something. And what they do, they went out there and they were just renegades. They didn't listen to David. They didn't inquire of the Lord. They just went out there and were a renegade force that just made a mess of things. Chapter 4, And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. That's Ishothbeth. And now he's thinking, Wow, my right-hand guy, my military leader, who I totally punked off, is dead. Now I'm in trouble. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. This is a major part of the key of David right here. Let's read this very carefully. The name of one was Benaiah, or Banna, and the name of the other was Richab, or Rechab, the sons of Rimon, a Berothite of the children of Benjamin. And here's your key of David. For Beeroth was also reckoned to Benjamin. Reckoned. Revelation 2.9, Revelation 3.9. Parable of the Terrors, Matthew chapter 13, the whole chapter. Rechab is a Kenite. Aptitude. He's a Kenite person. Aptitude to simulate into a prosperous situation peacefully, like the tares and of Matthew chapter 13. Like that parable, the tares was so monumentally important. Almost the whole chapter was dedicated to that one subject, the seed line, and that goes, the seed, Jesus Christ stops calling it seed, he starts calling it sperm. Listen, this is how important this is. Of course, the English Bible never writes anything when it comes to the right euphemisms to try and soften up God's Word, but get right down into it. Look it up for yourself in the manuscripts and the received text of the New Testament, the Greek New Testament. Okay, so Revelation 2, 9, 3, 9, they are liars. They, they claim to be Jews, but they are the synagogue of Satan. They assimilate their way in. Again, Aptitude to simulate into a prosperous situation peacefully. Why are these, I don't want to call them parasites. I don't want to call it a human being's parasites. But what are they doing? And the birthrights fled to Chichem and were sojourners there unto this day. And Saul's son had a son that was lame in the feet. He was five years old when the tidings of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he, he fell and became lame, and his name was Meth, Meth Ibosheth. 
okay, so David loved Jonathan, so he's going to love this guy too. He's going to love his son. And when they were trying to get out of there, the kid fell and he broke his back probably and made his legs lame. Five, and the sons of Rimah, the Berethite, Rechab, and Banna, went and came about in the heat of the day to the house of Ishbothesh, who lay in bed till noon, because he was probably playing video games all night. Six, and they came thither into the midst of the house, as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib, and Rehab, Rechab, and Banna, his brother, escaped. Now here we go, they smote, they went for the heart punch with the with the slicey, stabby, pokey thing, and smote him right in the heart, under the fifth rib. And why did these guys have access to the king's storage? Why did they have access to the wheat? Like, this would have been in the king's barns. They had access to the whole royal palace. They just went and walked wherever they felt like. Why did these guys have this? You have to watch this. Jeremiah chapter 35, 1 Chronicles 2.55, Revelation 2.9, Revelation 3.9, Parable of the Terrors. There's a huge thread that runs all the way back. It's more than a thread. It's like a clothesline that cuts through the Bible all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when it said, I will put enmity between thee, he's talking to Satan, and the woman, between your seed, Satan, and her seed. This is enmity, is hostile hatred. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. First prophecy of the Bible right there. That's where all this is pointing back. God's word translates itself. These threads that run through the Bible are God's trademark stamp of validity. These threads that run through the Bible make up the structural fabric of the key of David. And remember, the Bible contains its own glossary. It translates itself. So you check it out and... You will see that these threads come through. I always go to even right down to the etymology of the words themselves. And you watch. It points it right through here. The parable of the tares makes no sense. Revelation 2.9.3.9 makes no sense. When Jesus Christ said in, in John 8.44, You are of the fo your father the devil. Like how can this anything of this what makes no sense? Absolutely not. When you tie it all together, you put that thread together. It weaves through the Bible and it picks up so many other verses I can barely get into it at the moment but and it goes right back to that Genesis 3 verse 15 you know God didn't have any words to waste when he was when he was writing when he was getting this Bible written everything it's a little book it's bittersweet and you either believe it or you believe in yourself 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Here's more of this thread. Ephesians 2.2. 2. Genesis 4.25. Matthew 16.9. Matthew 3, 7, 1 John 3, 11, 1 Samuel 15, 6 and 7. I could just go on all day. Those verses, if you write those down, watch that thread come to life for you. And just the Bible contains its own glossary. And people say to me, Michael, that's your interpretation. I say that's not. It's not my interpretation. Because it contains its own glossary. It tells us what all this stuff means, what all these words mean. And it... The, the glossary chapters of the Bible are the greatest thing. And when we come across them, I'll make sure I point them out. But here we are, Key of David in Second Samuel 4.2. And we got on the Key of David again. Why did they have access to the, the royal palace and to the wheat, which would be in the royal barns? Like wheat was money. That was something. 
And they smote him. So they just walked in and they smote Ishbosheth, who was still crashed out at noon. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his chamber, and they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and got them away through the plain all night. Eight. And they brought his head. They brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David in Hebron, and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thy enemy, which sought thy life, and the Lord hath avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his seed line. Do you think this is going to make David happy? Like David could have off Saul so many times, and he didn't. And David loves Jonathan, and he probably had a lot of respect for Ishbosheth because he had a lot of respect for Abner. And so this is a huge day for David. Like David's taken one emotional hit after another. And David answered Rechab and Banna, his brother, the sons of Rimon, the Berothite. These guys were Kenites. And said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of the adversary? That's a good question. You guys or Yahweh, God? Who? You guys? You think you guys by going around and murdering that guy? Like I could have walked right in there and just told him to, told him to go sit in the corner. You guys murdered him. 10. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziglag. Who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings? Like, what are you guys thinking? Remember, the soul instantly goes back to Father. And this is how... This is how it's a, it's a good lesson on how Satan tries to get your pride puffed up with flattery. Satan comes in peacefully and prosperously. And these guys are trying to flatter King David. They know this Ishboth Ash is going to lose the kingdom. So now they try and make their way into the royal palace of David by saying, hey, listen, this is what we did for you. Okay, we want a seat in the front. Uh, don't call us anything else, but uh, never call us late for dinner. Okay, make sure that we get, okay, these guys are sweating it now. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed? So do you, who do you guys, what you guys did was re, repulsive, morally repulsive, ethically wrong, spiritually incorrect, and socially disgusting. So shall I not therefore require his blood on your hands and take you away from the earth? Okay, these guys are probably... Sweating bullets, to say the least. Twelve. And David commanded his young men, and they slew them, and cut off their hands and their feet, and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron, put them on display. But they took the head of Ishbothas and buried him in the sepulchre of Abner in Hebron. These guys were thieves. They were trying to get into the uh, royal granary. They were trying to have access to David's royal palace. And it's the same thing today. People using flattery to get what they want. That's the parable of the tares. Yeah, that's the, that's the brutal enemy. Who's the enemy within is much more dangerous than the enemy without. Like outside you, you can see your enemy. Okay, those guys are the enemy. I'm going to be careful. But when you have an enemy within, that's Satan's modus operandus. And he put them on the planet Earth in the form of sons of Cain. Always be careful and watch out for them because they are in charge of Satan's four hidden dynasties, Satan's four hidden empires. These hidden empires are the mainstream media. That's the worldwide education system. Who's in charge of all this deception? Jesus Christ says, Mark 24, or Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and in the first six 
seals in Revelation chapter 6. It's a great deception. Oh, they look holy. They look like they're riding a white horse. They look like you can trust them. It starts in the church. The great falling away from truth. The great apostasy. The churches today are destitute of truth. When Jesus Christ said unto the Pharisees and Sadducees, what do you, they're saying, what do you think John the Baptist is dressed up like in, in effeminate clothes like you people? Going around, you know, your sheep, your wolves and sheep's clothing. He's saying your outside is nothing like your inside. You look holy and you look religious. When the Roman army was there, after Jesus Christ laid down his life at the appointed time for us, that big church of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it didn't stop. No, it spread into Rome where it is to this day. They still wear the same clothes. They put on a big show full of traditions. And they leave their flock biblically illiterate. They're destitute of truth. The biggest religious system in the world, Catholics, are just destitute of truth. Look what they're guilty of just here in Canada. Like It's just, just crime against humanity after crime against humanity. They never teach the Bible. They've parasited their way in. That's the tares. That's what happened here with Rechab and his, his brother Banna. The parable of the tares. Aptitude to simulate into a prosperous situation peacefully. There's, there's one of the hidden dynasties, the great education system of the world, the global media, just destitute of truth. It's all about propaganda. It's all about social engineering. They don't have to account to anybody. You look at we're like 2.6 billion people on Facebook. Are you kidding me? That's almost half the planet. Getting their news and taking stuff for face value. And then they're, they're, they're getting ambushed, as it's written in the book of Isaiah. Ambushed by deception. Am, dis, ambushed by lies and deceit. And it's written, even the man of the house is useless at stopping it. Because he's the one that provides the screens for all his family. To just sit there and get ambushed. Get your face buried in a screen and just get lied to. And then back in the 70s and 80s, it was all about how can we get these people to think a certain way. It was about ratings because we sit and watch TV. You know, the old man would come home from work and flick the TV on. He'd be on to like 10 o'clock at night, even later. There's just constant ambush of deception. of, And it was all about ratings. Whatever show is most popular, okay, we can get people to think a certain way. We can get them to change their beliefs a certain way. We can get them to think, change what is valuable and what's not valuable, what's beautiful and what's not beautiful. And now it's algorithms. You can sit on Facebook and you just, anything that you think, Facebook, no matter how morally corrupt or ethically corrupt, or socially corrupt, or just flat out wrong, spiritually dead, you just get getting fed to you and fed to you and fed to you. Like there's no chance unless you unglue your face from the false and get your face into the Bible. It is the only truth. It tells us everything. And the truth is the great separating force between right and wrong, good and evil, and heaven and hell. And the next thing of, of Satan's system is this one world political system. Well, it, all politics is tied together. Wars and rumors of wars and troubles and earthquakes. And earthquakes just means earth-shattering events. 
It's earth-shaking events, I should say. It's earth-shaking right now. Here we are, October 21st, 2021. We've been praying for Haiti and church. And then all of a sudden, earth-shaking event down in Haiti. It's all run by gangs and punks and hoodlums. And they went and kidnapped the whole mission of missionaries. The whole, a whole bunch of them. And they want a million dollars ahead. Or what's going to happen to them? Like they took all the missionaries that they could find from Canada, United States, going down there just trying to teach the Bible, trying to plant the seeds of truth and glorifying, magnifying and broadcasting God's saving word. And they kidnapped them. And we haven't heard anything from them. They just want a million dollars. Like money's the root of all evil. But here, that's political systems. The third dynasty of Satan is... Obviously, the economy, one world economy. Money's the root of all evil. I know people say for the love of money, but when you read that word love in the manuscripts, it's different. It means like want. It means like something you can't live without. You, if, you, if, if it's gone, you'll be like grieved. Like you think you're entitled to it. Like people say, always oh, correcting me when I say, uh, yeah, the love for money's the root of all evil. I've been corrected. No, it's the love of money. Okay, then if that's what you want to say, then empty your bank account into the church now. All of it. If you want to disagree with that. And see how you feel. Do you love me? Do you miss it? Does your heart ache for it? Does it bother you? Then, then don't, correct, don't correct us. So look up the word love for yourself in the manuscripts and you'll see that it means something you pay homage to. you worshiping it. You're... You can pay lip service, but like when you have absolutely nothing, you realize that the Lord's given us everything. These promises that are written in the councils of eternity. Like if you're living down here, you're going to get food and water every day and you're going to have somewhere to sleep. So anything above that is God's grace, God's blessings, God's unmerited favor. And then we get into the last thing. What's the, what's the last dynasty of Satan? Well, the one world religious system, what you believe in. And religion doesn't necessarily mean going to church or something like that. Religion means what you believe in. They're changing your beliefs. So we had the one world education system, the one world religious system, the one world political system, the one world economy. Way to go, Satan. You're doing a great job. Uh, You know, you're doing a great job. Look what you're doing to planet Earth. Look what money and science and education has done to planet Earth. We're destroying planet Earth. We're, it's an unsustainable lifestyle. And it's because of money and entitlement and greed and gluttony and thinking that we deserve more. I was talking to some people the other day and I said, well, it's unsustainable the way that we're living. The globe, when you look at planet Earth from a NASA thing, just remember that infinity is out there. Try and grasp that. You can't. We're bound by the primitives of being human. We do not understand space and time. That's proof right there when God said, you're going to pass through the matrix once born innocent of women. You're going to be reduced and you're going to be restricted to understand what's past this. You guys have to concentrate on getting over yourselves and the things you carry. We are the one third that follows Satan. All the iniquities are in us and we have to get them out of us to get back and reconcile with God. Or if we're still carrying them, That's why there has to be another hell after this age. And as it's written in the Bible, it's another thousand year period because these attitudes that we carry on this planet, 
of greed, gluttony, envies, uncertainties, anxieties, blame, disdain, hatred, racist attitudes, discriminating attitudes, prejudiceness. These things will never be allowed in the kingdom of heaven. Or it would be nothing more than a new hell. We're getting separated right now. You have to separate yourself from those things and cleanse yourself. and have a. That's why it says be born again. Because being born again means that you become a new person. You can't be born again until you're ready to understand what's written. You get, you get into the Bible you get, and follow God's ceremonial instructions. Being baptized, born again, get ready for it and mean it. And then get the Word of God into you. It's the only truth out there. And it's written in the councils of eternity. Our Lord Jesus Christ came. He manifested a little lower than the angels for us. He became our teacher, our rabbi, our master, our wonderful counselor. And I'm going to leave it at that for today. I want to thank you very much for listening. My name is Mike. This is Companion Chapel. You can contact me at 519-706-8876 or companionchapel at gmail.com is the email here. I want to thank you very much for listening. Have yourself a great day and bye for now.